Welcome to Unabashed You, conversations to become who you already are. The focus at UI is to be who you are without apology, for you are one of a kind, without equal. Be encouraged as these conversations will help you think, celebrate who you are, and move you in some way. Your companion to the whimsy and beauty of the human spirit, Rochelle Condi now. In case you didn't know, the B.A. stands for Beautiful Angelina, a nickname her husband gave her when he said Angelina was just a bit too long looking for a term of endearment. Well, it stuck, and good for her, because B.A. Crisp is the name she uses as the best-selling author of Redbird and X-Point. She has lived a lot of lives in this one. I've got B.A. Crisp with me today. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Honored to be here, Rochelle. Oh, and it's a pleasure to have you, and I can't wait to get into more of that. Is there anything you want the listeners to know to start? I can't. You know, you asked me this question, and I think we just need to roll with conversation. Sure. No problem. No problem at all. I, In fact, I do have... Some that just like, let's keep going and some who who want to. So it's, you know, it's all good as far as I'm concerned. What three words would you use to describe yourself? Um, Resilient. Mm. Caring. Genuine. Mm, Gosh, you know, I, isn't that interesting how I already know those things about you and I've only been talking to you for a handful of minutes, but I, I, I can I can feel that. And it's kind of like in the knowing, like when you connect with someone, when you can see their face, when you can look into their eyes, when when you you get the sense of people without having to um, really talk to them for very long. And I, I think that's part of like intuitive personalities and, and maybe a lot more. But I like those words. I absolutely like those words. Those are wonderful. Have you ever played two truths and a lie where you say three things about yourself and I see if I can tell which one is not true? So two true things, one not true, say them and I'll see if I can ferret out the untruth. Okay. Uh, let me think about that for a second. So um, I was a vetted volunteer for an, a special crimes bureau on an anti-human trafficking unit. Wow. I was a case officer for the CIA, and I once had my vehicle commandeered by a SWAT captain for a standoff. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you know, I know you have a very fascinating, unique background. So in my mind, all of these are true, but now I have to figure out which one is not true. Okay. I, I'm going to just my thought process. I, I know that you are deeply involved in um, the human trafficking movement. Thank God you are. And so I'm going to say that one's true. Case officer for the CIA. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to set that one aside. Vehicle SWAT. Okay. So you had, there was some sort of a standoff. They needed your vehicle and they either pulled you out of there or whatever it is that they do. Ah, okay. Well, I'm going to say that the CIA one is the lie. I can neither confirm nor deny. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And that's why, and that's exactly why I thought, CIA, they don't really like you going around talking about being part of the CIA. So that's right. uh, I believe it's a, so in 1947, there's like an 
Espionage Act, where it's a hundred thousand dollar fine and uh, and like ten years in prison. You you cannot. So you know, for for all those people out there who meet someone while they're dating, if they meet them on you know, and I've had this happen. Uh, you know, I homestead in Naples, Florida, and I've had people say, "Well, I met this guy, and he said he was you know with the CIA," and I'm like, he would never, no. ever ever tell you that. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're not just, and it's not, you know, it's just, they just, no matter how bright and beautiful and brilliant you seem that they are just not going to, they are not going to trust you with that information. And no. they can't. <laughs> so. Right. Right. Oh yeah. my goodness. Well, okay. So you cannot confirm nor deny that. Oh, Can I make we- a horrible CIA case officer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, you are a vetted volunteer for human trafficking. Okay. I was. Yeah, I was okay, a great. vetted volunteer for um a law enforcement agency on um in the uh criminal investigations division or it was wow. uh, yeah, yeah. So okay. I mean, yeah, that one's definitely true. And so tell us the story of of you being were you pulled out of your vehicle? I was. <laughs> I was oh my God. So, um, and my friend, Laura Whitaker is going to love this, that I outed her for this. So we were, we were actually at a club. This we're going back decades. So that's fun. We were actually at a club and we were partying with a bunch of people. And one of those people happened to be on the SWAT team. He was not drinking and, um, and they got a call and he could not get to his vehicle. So they commandeered my car. I did get the car back and it was fine. Okay, good. That's kind of exciting in a way. Did you have that sense of, am I in danger? Am I in danger? Or was it (laughs) more like, this is so cool. That's what I felt like. This is so cool. I was in good company. So, (laughs) oh my goodness. Oh, what a story. Wow. One, because you know, I I love these playful get to know you questions. What what is one of one of your favorite movies of all time? Because we all have a bunch, but the one you want to talk about today? Yeah, and I gave that a ton of thought too. So I have to go with Men of Honor with Cuba Gooding Jr. and Robert De Niro. Oh my gosh! I wonder if I've even seen it. Yeah, it was. It came out in two thousand, and it was based on the true story of a man named Carl Bashir, who was a, a chief petty officer who became the first African American master diver for the U.S. Navy. Oh my god! And the the obstacles. I like the movie because it was a turning point in my life, and there's a scene in there where he's he's facing a lot of obstacles, prejudice. Um, and he's joined the Navy and he he's joined this uh, Navy master dive school and they don't want him there. And uh-huh. he had this. So his father had been a sharecropper and his mm. and he, he said he was going to quit school and he would help his father. And his <laughs> father said, don't you dare quit school. And he gave him a clock radio. And um, when he got to this dive school, they broke it. They shattered uh-huh. it. He pieced it back together. Oh my God. And when he pieced that radio that his father and his father had passed away by the time he made it to that school, oh my God. He, he pieced it together. And it, to me, that was a turning point in my life because oh. it, his father told him, don't quit. Don't you ever quit. And the man 
did not quit. Even when he lost his leg in the, in a cable accident underwater, he did of course pass his class. Uh, the character, Robert De Niro's character, who was his sergeant, I think, or I, I can't remember the exact, but right. he, he put him, he really put him through the test. Um, they scattered all his equipment underwater so he would fail. He spent nine hours down there and he put everything together because it didn't matter how long he took as long as he could do it. And he did it. And he became this master diver. And then he oh. lost a leg in, on an underground cable. Oh. And uh, they told him his career was oh. over. And he was fighting for his, his career and he didn't quit. And they said, if you can walk in this dive suit, which weighed like, I don't know how many hundreds of pounds with one leg, uh, he could do it. And he did it in the room. And it it was just, to me, I, I just had never seen a human being, even though I'm sure they took poetic license, but uh, and it was a movie, but to me, it just really Mm -hmm. solidified that all things are possible if you just don't quit. Right. And I have the the sneaking suspicion that that is a motto that works very well for your life, that that all that you've been through, and I, I have had a little peek into all you've been through, but I, I'm looking forward to, to hearing more, uh, more about that. And I, I can't wait to talk about that. And a person that inspires you, can you name somebody? I'm sure a lot, again, this is one of those questions, a lot of people inspire us, but somebody you kind of want to highlight today. So all of my books um, are dedicated in memoriam to Sergeant Linda Pierre. Um, She was killed in Afghanistan, uh, April 16th, 2011. She was part of a, a, an ops unit over there. And I was one of the last people to see her state side. And we flew on a plane together and we hit bad turbulence and I'm not a very good flyer. I was vulnerable. And, and uh, she held my hand and we talked, we, we flew up to Atlanta together and then I was going on to DC and she was going on to the screaming Eagles 101st up in uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And um, she had sent me an email when she reached her post, she got deployed. And before we parted, we traded cards. And I said, look, if you ever need anything, call me. And she, she said, Hey, I'm in the middle East. I'm in Afghanistan or I'm in Afghanistan. So I would like, uh, uh, you know, my, the morale is low in our unit. Can you put together something for Christmas? And I had never done anything like this. And I was kind of scared. And I thought, man, I don't know if I can live up. But then I remembered, you know, some of the things that she had said on the plane. And I thought, you know, damn it, if she can give her time and her sacrifice, her time to do this, I can help. I can try. And right, the, right. the city of Naples gotten, you know, pe- community members from the city of Naples. We had, we had, and I'm going to say it, we had people in the strip club industry that got involved and they, they just sent, we, in Sergeant Maester Tracy said, I can probably get a plane. We can get, you know, some stuff over there and they wow. drop. And, and she sent me an email and she said, we believe Santa's real. It's like uh-huh. Christmas here because they got such a drop of, of all the stuff, the items that they wanted. And that was really, um, the, you know, that was really something. And then I remember I sat up in bed, another intuitive moment, like we were discussing prior to the podcast, I, I got a news push and it said five U.S. NATO troops or five NATO troops killed. Oh, no. Uh, and I, I looked at my husband 
And I said, Linda's gone. And, and oh he, my gosh. Yeah. He was like, honey, she went to an outpost. She, she, um, she can't, she told you, she couldn't tell you where she was. And I found out that evening, my, my, my father-in-law is a retired secret service agent. And I found out that evening that it was in fact, Linda. And so I vowed to myself that I would try to live every single day of my life honoring her mm. and honoring her life and what the sacrifice that she that she made. So right, um, right, absolutely. I, you know, you're a writer. I write a blog. That's not the same thing. <laughs> but I'm words really fail me right now to convey. Um, that kind of sacrifice, that kind of service, the willingness to put oneself on the line. And then she obviously paid the ultimate price and look at the impact it's had. Um, I don't think things like that are wasted. And of course, we'd rather have her here. That would be ideal. I mean, for those who loved her Mm -hmm. and you are continuing her memory, her legacy. And that is beautiful. There was nothing you could have done, obviously, you know, look at how she right. touched your life. She touched a lot of other lives. And too, she no knew that, that was the other part of her that offered so much strength to me was she knew that there was a possibility she might not make it home. And I asked her on the plane. I had the courage to ask because that's a difficult question to ask. I said, are you afraid to die? And oh. she said, I am not afraid to die. And she said, I would take a bullet for my brothers and sisters in arms. And she said, that's the kind of thing that I don't think a lot of people who are not in the military understand that level of of that love and that service. Um, And she called them her brothers and sisters in arms. Um, But, but she was really an outstanding young woman. And uh, I, and she Mm -hmm. had plans, you know, she had plans to take her father on a fishing trip to Alaska when she returned stateside Mm -hmm. and that never manifested, but you're right about what her carrying her memory forward Mm -hmm. and the impact that she had on so many lives. And she died at the age of 28. So she was relatively young and, and uh, uh, you know, she, she really did have, she had an impact. She made an impact. And uh, she's forever in my heart. Absolutely. And there's the ripple effect. And now you've told me about her. And I mean, I I have had goosebumps several times already in our conversation. And I just wrote about goosebumps in the last week's (laughs) blog, which just, it's perfect timing. Uh, You know, when we're so moved by something, Mm -hmm. our body reacts to that. And I, you know, I felt, I felt the, the, whatever happens in our throat when we start to get teary eyed and, and are so deeply moved. Wow. What a tremendous legacy. This one very young woman at age 28 left. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It's beautiful. And thank you for sharing that story with me. I'm, I am, I am in turn moved by it as well. Wow. So cool. Well, we're going to get to your writing in just a minute. First, I want to know a piece of wisdom you keep handy. (laughs) This comes from my grandmother wise. And she, when I took a report card to her, I was a little girl and I 
carried a report card to her and I had straight A's. <laughs> she said, don't let the weight of your head knock you on your ass. Oh, I love that. <laughs> don't let the weight of your head. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I've often thought about that statement and, and it's, you know, once you say you've arrived or you start, you start, you know, it's once you let that ego get too high and it's me, 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 and you mm-hmm. lose the altruism and you lose that vulnerability and, and you say, I've arrived, you might mm-hmm. as well hang up. You might, right. because I think my grandmother was trying to tell me what's next. What's next. This is great. She wasn't disparaging it at all. She right. wasn't, you know, she, it was just, Hey, you know, just think about this. So this right. is, What's next? <laughs> and see, look at this. You were a young girl and you still remember it. And it guides, it, it had it made an imprint, it helped form who you are, and it's made uh this kind of a lasting impression that this is the piece of wisdom that you know you shared. And and it's and it's fun, it's cheeky, mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. all of that, but then you've got this real nugget of truth there, right? Yes. Underneath <laughs> it. So thank you for that. Well, we're going to get into our deep dive, which is talking about the things you're passionate about. And we've got like, well, I'm going to say three things we need to cover. I'm going to start out. Well, you're a writer, so we're going to talk about that. And you are a, a fierce advocate for human trafficking. I'd like to touch on that as well. But I want to start by how I met I'm you. A how- I'm a fierce advocate for anti-human trafficking. Right, 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 right. I'm sorry. I'm not wording that correctly. Yes, you're working. Oh, of course. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes, of course, my listeners would. Yeah, would, it would be one of those moments where I, I didn't word it quite right. But yes, of course. Anti, 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 anti. Yes, all over the place. Anti. Yes. Thank you for that. Uh, okay, first, I want to start by how I, I got connected with you with through your husband, David. And he wrote me the most beautiful letter, and I'm starting to get teary even thinking about it, in which he stumbled upon uh, the Unabashed You podcast. Mm-hmm. And he he shared with me what a wonderful woman he's married to, and that you've had this very, you've overcome thing after thing after thing in your life, painful things, hard things, things. Most of us don't even go through one of those things, much less all of those things. And now you are um, a a strong advocate for anti-human trafficking. You work very hard in that field. And you've also discovered along the way through uh, your, your education that you are a writer. You have these things that you want to get out. And so I, I want to talk about both of those things. And um, so we can start wherever you want to start. I know you've survived a lot. You've been through a lot. And um, we are actually going to have your husband on the show because this letter was so incredible that I was like, would you please come on the show just to talk about how amazing his letter was? Yeah. And David is, uh, he's my rock. Um, He's taught me a lot uh, about and continues to teach me um, about being a, de- you know, being a decent human being, because I grew mm-hmm. up with little guidance on, on that. So mm-hmm. um, I really, it, it, I don't want to get on your couch, Rochelle, okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, um, it's my life 
just continues to be, and I don't, I hate sounding cliche, but it really is this journey of curiosity and love of learning, but love of people too. So I, I just, and, and I, there are all different types of people and my situation as a kid, I was, so a lot of people don't know, your listeners don't know. I was raised as a foster child in the ward of the court, most of my childhood. Um, I don't, I don't like to, um, I don't consider myself a victim anymore. I don't, Mm -hmm. I can, and I don't even consider myself, um, a survivor. I consider myself a thriver. Yes. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. I get out of bed every day and I'm so thankful to have freedom and health because health is so huge and everything. And, you know, and I, I, I know that we talk about love a lot in our, in our society, you know, Oh, I, I love this book or this movie, or I love that right. person. Oh my gosh. I love this piece of clothing or whatever. <laughs> but, <laughs> and we overuse the word love, but it, but it's such a, and, and even I wish there were another word for love, but there isn't, but it's so important. This love that we have within us, because to me, it's, it's an energy, it's a frequency, it's a vibration. And I, I love feeling that I, the transcendence, the moments of transcendence that, that we get. Very good. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying I'm like that. I jump out of bed. I'm like that every day. I'm a human being. So we're, it's a constant, it's a constant, um, wavelength of, of, you know, falling back into humanness and, and then, you know, stopping to be present. Absolutely. But it sounds like you had this, um, this innate thing within you that kept propelling you forward. You could have stayed stuck in any one of those situations and just taken a very different path. Let's just, can we just like, touch on, I don't even know how we would do this. Cause we, we would do, we could do like a 20 part series with you. I mean, <laughs> seriously, we could, but you know, I mean, you've, I'm not sure I understand. Oh, Siri's talking to me. <laughs> Siri, no, no. Night, night, Siri, night, night. Okay. Um, okay. So foster child and, and do you, do you kind of agree with this philosophy? And this is something I, I came to in my twenties that Everyone is doing the best they can do at the time. I've got to put him to sleep here. Night, night. Okay. That everybody's doing the very best that they can. It might not be what you want or even what you need, but like, like, let's say your parents, the fact that you ended up in a, in foster system was because they were not equipped or able or capable of caring for you properly. Yes. And I'd say that it was a blessing in disguise. So I am absolutely convinced that I had guardian angels, both the spiritual and the physical uh, kind. Right. I had a lot of people in my life who were good mentors. um, And I was involved with, you know, sports. Uh, I ran track and and this is later in high school, but I also joined Girl Scouts and I did all, you know, I was in 4-H and, and, um, and I did the things, I did the things. I did the things and I had wonderful teachers who really inspired a love of reading in, uh, uh, within me. Um, you know, I, Marilyn Sands was an English lit uh, teacher that I absolutely adore to this day. 
Uh, Mrs. Henderson was a librarian at my old school, um, you know, back in Monroeville, Ohio, and she mm-hmm. was great and really inspired a love of reading. Um, you know, there were very difficult times. There were abusive times. There were um, there were neglectful times. There there was um, I think there were a lot of adults swirling around me that had um, that had their they were dealing with so much, you know, my mother was dealing with mental illness. Um, you know, my father turned out not to be my father at all. And and wow. I didn't meet my real father until I was 24, my biological father. Um, there were a lot of family dynamics uh, taking place. Um, and, you know, there were adults that you know, here we are, we're my, it was my brother and I, we were the product of this relationship until we weren't. And then it was, well, and I, and I kind of understand it because you had other adults around you going, well, I don't want to take on this responsibility. Um, you know, we had an aunt and uncle, I had an uncle, uh, that was a Marine and they're awesome. They're incredible. And I I'm close to them to this day and I love them to pieces, but my uncle David, my aunt Teresa always tried to, to step up, um, and one of the things my aunt was concerned about was that my mother would be able to regain uh, custody. So, you know, and I'm going to say this, you know, it was a situation where, as my aunt can tell, my mother on two occasions um, tried to end my life. One okay. was, mm. so I was three. I'm so sorry. My, thank God for my uncle because. I was um, three years old and I don't remember it. He remembers talking her down. The police were called, but she was holding a shotgun to my head and well, Mm. not at my head. Well, she was pointing it toward my head and it from a chair and our, we had a, I had a, I was three, there was a St. Bernard we had and he stepped between us and he wouldn't move. Oh my gosh. And, and she hit him on the head with the gun and he, and he still wouldn't move. And, uh, and finally talked her down the second time I was alone with her and, and it was with my brother and we were, you know, replaced with her, which we probably should not have been. Mm. And she, um, pulled a knife out from behind her back and said, I think today's a good day to die. A beautiful day. Mm. And, and I was probably five. And just at that moment, my grandmother had stepped up to the porch. She'd been gardening mm. and she looked through the window and saw my mother and, and said, you know, she, she burst in and she said, go get your grandfather and run. And I got my grandfather. And, uh, mm. uh, and that was, you know, really, that was the last time that I ever lived, you know, with my mother, um, mm-hmm. and, but she had her demons and there are other things that, uh, you know, took place. And, and this sounds so conspiracy theory, but there, you know, she was at the Tiffin State Hospital. And at the time, this is when if you look up something called MK Ultra, they mm-hmm. were doing a lot of uninformed consent experiments. Uh. And her records were lost. And there's nothing left. And oh by the time, gosh. you know, when she came out, she was, I visited her and she was catatonic. Um, Mm -hmm. I was with my uncle again, and he was very upset because she had been subjected to um, electroconvulsive shock therapy, and she had been um, uber medicated. And, you know, and I'd always like to find out the truth of that story, because there were a lot of um, 
uh, women and minorities that were subjected to a lot of these tests. So the government was doing like over 300 um, projects and then they had sub projects under that and they were testing um, biochemical and bioweapons. And all you have to do is Google MKUltra and it'll give you more than you ever wanted to know. But, you know, I've, I've always wondered about that. So, right. you know, the history of that, because she was fine before that she'd been a you know, a, a, a singer and she wrote music and, and she was very much a creative, had a quick wit and a great sense mm-hmm. of humor. And mm-hmm. I found her, you know, when I got older, I located her and um, we found her housing and, and uh, she was tested. So she did go, we took her to a doctor and they, they tested her and the doctor said, her IQ is off the charts, but her wow. emotional intelligence is like that of a 16-year-old child. So that's wow. just a little bit of the childhood um, uh, history. Right. Um, but that's why I feel like I've oh, had... Oh, goodness. Well, and it sounds like in many ways she was a, a wonderful woman being creative and and singing and having this side to her. And, um, and yet, like you say, she had this whole other mental illness going on and then further completely exacerbated by uh, what happened during hospitalization, which probably in those years, you know, I think the, the, the longer we go on, we, you know, we learn more. We, I think right human rights are in that sense, being more closely watched by loved ones. And um, I don't think you can just do that sort of thing willy nilly anymore. Yeah. And I think it really sparked my interest too. So, you know, I, I studied psychology and then I worked at a major metropolitan house hospital as a psychiatric assessment specialist uh, for a while. And at the time it was politically incorrect, but they called it, you know, working with the criminally insane. And um, you know, in that, this is kind of what sparked my interest. You know, my mom's illness really sparked my interest in learning more because you know, one of the things I always heard as a child, which is not good for a child to be labeled, I don't think anyone should have to wear the labels that are applied to them. But, you know, oh, well, she's her mother's daughter. And oh, she'll gosh, the same thing. And we really have to keep an eye on her. And then it was the, you know, oh, well, you can't come to my slumber party because my mom said that your mom's crazy and you might have a moment too. Oh, so, my goodness. No, it's just little oh, things goodness. like that that are really, and, and I would just encourage people to be circumspect. And I do think that as a society in some areas, we have gotten a lot better with that, with that understanding and, 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 you know, that we refrain from so much shaming, but yet on the other hand, behind a computer, we're notorious for our levels of shaming. Right, Um, right. Exactly. There's always the flip side. We just can't, can't get away from it. Well, of course, not, having only known you like 40 minutes, I'm, I'm very uh, saddened by what you've been through. And at this very same time, I'm very inspired I'm here. I'm here. That's and it. I, that's it. I don't here. want people to be saddened because that's, that's back there. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And, and I've in, and I'm no longer going in that direction. Right. Right. And that's very clear. That is very clear that you are enduring well. And that's, I think, then you're thriving as, as you described, and it's clear that you are. It's obviously when you hear something like this, um, I think 
many people would have a moment of, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry she went through that. I mean, because we, yeah. you know, put ourselves in that, like, oh my gosh. And yet look where you are. And that's what needs to be celebrated. So yeah. how did you become a writer? Was, you know, part of this from everything you went through? Oh, yes. So I, <laughs> okay. so I used to write, I was in a foster home. I used to write stories all the time when I was a little girl and I would write plays and I would write stories and I was oh, eight fabulous. Yeah. And I was eight years old and this woman took, so remember incinerators and you know, yeah. how you basement and I was there and she took one of my stories and she's put it in the incinerator no. and she said, girls like you don't write, they do menial labor. And she handed me a broom and she was laughing because I started crying. I'm eight, you know, and she's like, you, you don't, you're just not going to write. So I adopted that for a good part of my life that, you know, I need to get a real job. I need to have a real career. I need to, you know, there's, I have to do what the, I have to, you know, abide by this conformist sort of reality because that's what will pay the bills and that's how I can survive. Mm -hmm. So I lived a lot of years that way. And, um, uh, and then it was only when I, um, you know, as I, as I got older and the kids were, uh, uh, growing, cause I have four children oh, and wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And as they, you know, grew up and moved on with their lives, I thought, you know, I really want to readdress this. And I really have a story here and I want to, and, and it's always write what you know. So I started joining writers groups and, and they were all published authors. I was not. And I started outlining and I started experimenting with my writing. And then I had an opportunity and this really changed the trajectory of, of, you know, my life was when I was invited over to Oxford at Exeter College to participate in an international summer students writing program. Whoa. Yeah. So I spent a part of the summer there and I loved it. I fell in love with it. And mm. it later, and what's so odd is later DNA tests revealed that I actually have ancestors from the Oxfordshire area, which was kind of, wow. Yeah. And um, so, so, you know, I went over there and I received a, an opportunity from Judith Murray at Green and Heaton, which is one of the oldest publishing houses over in the UK right. and said, you know, send me a sample of your writing. Wow. And I want to see, you know, and she gave me a card and everyone was all excited for me. And then I turned it into her, but I rushed it. And she, and all she said was, I do not like your writing style. And that was Ooh. it. We were done. <laughs> our, our, uh, any business we had had concluded. So oh. that was, no, it's okay. It's okay. So that was a real wake up call for me. Okay. And, and, and I went back and I thought, you know, I didn't, and I went back and looked at it and I said, yeah, this really is awful. <laughs> so, cause I rushed it and, right. and okay, there you go. Right. Yeah. So that was in six, 2016. And, um, and then the first book was published, uh, by two portal publishing in the U S in 2019. So, oh, wow. So yeah. not that, I mean, fairly recently. <laughs> I, I, yeah, <laughs> I've got, like I've got a famous plug. <laughs> right. Well, I've got a picture of it right in front of me as well. And it's called red bird, mm -hmm. red bird. And what, what is the, um, uh, the little medallion on their best? What does it say? I can't oh, it says it. Amazon bestselling author. Oh, fabulous. Yes. Oh, so fabulous. Yeah. So it's, it's about a young lady 
who is a foster kid and mm. she is, uh, and she is remanded to the, to the court, you know, to the court as a ward of the court. And then she is picked up by uh, a couple that are, it's a British couple and they, yeah. And they make her an offer and, oh. and she has really not much choice, but to accept that offer and finds herself behind the gates of a nuclear reactor testing facility, <laughs> receiving special tutoring. So I grew, oh. yeah. So I grew up in an area where the third largest nuclear reactor testing site in the world once was. Oh. And it's, it's called NASA Plumbrook Station, or it was, and it's still there. And I actually paid a visit there um, a few years ago. And my girlfriend was like, "We can't go in here. We can't go in here. Oh my god!" <laughs> well, my grandfather was a subcontractor there, and um, and I pulled up and I went right in. And all these guys came out. She's hiding like down where the glove <laughs> compartment is, and I'm just getting out of the car. And all these guys coming out with their vests on and their their uniforms on, and 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 this guy in a tie comes out and he says, "Can I help you?" And this this would have made a great movie scene, but I said. And I told him the story and I said, you know, I used to, I used to roam these woods and, and, and I got, you know, I got caught for trespassing and, and I got hauled into the offices there and and the guy, this military guy was screaming at me. And I said, and I was like, I found the hole in your fence. So yeah, you should be thanking me. (laughs) This was decades ago, but, but, and I was a kid, but uh, Redbird, you know, I used to spend a lot of time in the woods when I was a foster kid and I was out in the country because this place is out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And, and I would, um, I would see Cardinals and I'd always mm. see Cardinals and, and uh, I would have books with me and I would disappear in the woods and I would mm. be gone, you know, and from practically from the time the sun came up till the sun went down oh my I, goodness. in the summer, in the summer, even in the winter, I'd go out, you know, I'd, I'd spend a lot of time outside, but I just, I, you know, that, I couldn't wait to get out of there. It's so funny how we come full circle, Rochelle, because I couldn't wait to get out of there. And, and now I really value that peaceful out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that presence of nature and, mm-hmm. and, uh, but I couldn't wait to party. I couldn't wait to, you know, go to the clubs and wear fancy clothes and all that. And I think that, you know, for some of us, that's an experience that we have to have to learn some lessons too. And right. uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the first one's called Red Bird. And then there, would we call this a sequel or just a completely second book? It's, I mean, it is a second book, but is it, is it carrying on the story or is it separate? So, so there's, there's, three books in the series and they're called the series is called the quantum chronicles um okay. the second book the second book is called x point okay and, got it and i can i can now tell you and i've just looked at the um cover jacket for the third book and i love it so the third book is called emergent it is not Ooh. yet out it should be out by the end of march and i love the cover And, um, it's, I'm, and then, so what's really awesome is the editor said, uh, I, he sends me a message and he says, and I dug deep on this one and, and he sends me a message and he said, I love this book. He was trying to edit and he was reading. So he'd have to go back. 
<laughs> but he's getting into the story. So that's a really good thing when you're that's at a good it. sign. That's it's a very really good tough sign. on you. The only thing he doesn't like, I get scolded for my ellipsis. So he's like, oh. <laughs> and he said, this is you thinking. And he's right. You know, he's, I know he's right. So then we got into a big discussion on the word inanimated and, um, and he thought it should be deanimated. And I said, gee, I think I like that better, but I used it in book two and we can't use it in book one or I mean, book three. And then he looked at, he actually took the time to look it up. And he's, and Michael said, you know, that's your life in sciences. Uh, uh, Michael Waits is my editor. And he said that, you know, in, in, to inanimate, you know, that's in the life in sciences. And I said, well, that's going to fit perfect. So we're going to oh, leave it. it <laughs> oh, so, yay. Good. A, a little cool. battle that turned out for the best. Yeah. Oh, that's so fantastic. It, yeah, and it's really a juxtaposition where where the science collides with the sacred in the mm. book. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay, and I had a quick. What was my question about? Um, um, okay, so you're you've got you've started writing these books. They're they're doing well. They when you first started, did you imagine that this is going to be three stories and and this is kind of my 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 outline for each one kind of a thing? Yeah, and it never turns out how you expect. <laughs> so, so um uh you know Lorna Ferguson at Oxford, she was my tutor. They call them tutors rather than professors. And she said, and I just love her and she's amazing. She's a feisty Scottish woman and she really knows how to write. And she has her own book uh, and that's her plug. So The Chase by Lorna Ferguson, <laughs> if anyone's uh-huh. a very good book. And um, and she was shortlisted for Mogford Prize. And she, anyway, she uh, told me, she said, you don't have a book when I was over there. And I said, I, I don't. My heart dropped. I'm like, oh my God, I'm eight years old again. And she said, <laughs> My dear, you have a trilogy. Ooh. And and I and then that was like ding 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 ding. All the it was a pipinic and everything, all these bells and whistles went off, and I was so excited. And uh and I thought yeah. I could do that, I could do that. So so you so, are. Yes, yes, and I have, and and now I'm looking at my fourth and fifth project. So Ooh, and, and interesting. One, yeah, one will be nonfiction and one will be historical fiction, which I will probably need to tap Lorna for because uh, for some help, because um, I have a 10th great grandfather I discovered through Ancestry who was a deemster. So I am part what they call Manx. So I have Ancestry from the Isle of Man and uh-huh. my 10th my great grandfather was considered a patriot and he was executed on Hango Hill in June of 1663 for defending his lands, lands that had been in his family uh, for about 800 years. And I found his last speech before he was executed. And then I found out that he was posthumously pardoned by King Charles II. And reparations were paid to my ninth great grandfather, Thomas Collier Christian, who then set sail for America with, with 42 uh, relatives. So, um, yeah. And I just think it would make a great piece of historical fiction. So, well, it um, sure would. That sounds very exciting. And I just doubted it. So someone might beat me to the punch. Oh, no, 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 no. You get started, get started. 
Yeah, I have. So good. Well, this has been an incredible conversation, BA. And I, I, we didn't even get to everything because I'm going to have to have you on again. I want to talk about um, your advocacy for those who get, um, I know that it's just so horrible, but it's a topic we need to talk about. We need to be more informed. We need to figure out, uh, you know, the little things that we can do to help raise awareness and, and help, which I can imagine is typically women, but probably some men too, young boys, perhaps. I'm not sure. Definitely men and boys, they tend to be forgotten about in, you know, and they, everyone focuses on the women and girls. Right. Um, and the awareness is being raised. The education is being raised. Um, I've traveled around the country giving talks. I've traveled to other countries giving talks on the topic. Right. Um, I've, I've done trainings. I've worked. Um, I've done outreach and collaboration. I don't I do not work for HSI. I need to make that clear. Uh, or but I have worked with federal agents. Uh, right. FBI at HSI. Right. Um, Homeland Security, which is the second largest law enforcement agency in the U.S. Um, or in the on the globe, excuse me. And then uh, we've worked with state and local um, law enforcement as well. Um, and I've talked to so many NGOs and groups. And I just did at the Naples Botanical Garden. I, I did a, uh, an outreach for uh, Northwestern University alumni, and, wow. and I really I, it. I've seen the success stories and that's what um, enables me and path to freedom is one of my favorites. Um, Anna Stevenson, I would walk with her when her, her vision was just a, it was just a vision. It was just a dream and she made it a reality Mm. and she doubled the number of long-term residential beds for minor victims of sex trafficking. And And it's not an institution, it's a mansion. And, and it, you can just feel the love there. And mm-hmm. these young ladies are thriving. Another one Wonderful. is Reflective Spaces Ministries. People are aging out of foster care. And Tammy Tony Butler provides this tiny housing for them, her and her husband, Dave, mm-hmm. who's a law enforcement officer. And, and they just do such an I see the progress and the success and the healing and how victims are are becoming survivors are becoming thrivers because they get to participate in their own healing plan. And I think that's so wonderful that you empower them. And that's what these two women are doing. They are empowering people that have suffered real trauma to heal themselves and and realizing that sometimes that takes time and it's a process. Well, it goes back to what you said. Anything is possible. Anything is possible that or all things are possible is what you said. Well, this has been wonderful. I'd love to have you on again, because I mean, we barely scratched the surface, but we're a good 40, 45 minutes in. And that's a really good sweet spot, I think, for the attention span of most of us. Okay. <laughs> so thank you so much, BA, for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. So I'm I'm sorry, I talked right over you. What did you say? I said you're doing a wonderful thing. I love it. You're you're giving voice to people and it's a positive podcast. And I think that's awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And and like you, you're doing the thing, I'm doing the thing. And it I think that's one of the the goals is to encourage people to do whatever the thing is for them. 
And, and it can be more than one thing, of course. Mm-hmm. But there's there's so much uh, fulfillment, joy, satisfaction, and challenge in doing the thing. It's not it's not a piece of cake. It's mm-hmm. you know, but it feels good even when you're you know working and frustrated and all the things. It it, it you know it, it's great. So I thank you for all the many ways that you are serving like uh Linda did in your own in your own lane so to speak so thank you for that uh-huh yeah appreciate it. thank you all right thank take care have a great day yep you too bye having been a foster child BA is quick to point out she is not a victim She didn't just survive, she thrives. B.A. kept to the idea that she would never quit, no matter what. There were lots of those. That all things were possible. She believed it, it sustained her, and brought her to where she is today. Wife, mom, author, advocate, and anything else she wants. The Unabashed You website has a page for each guest, filled with photos, quotes, and a blog with embedded audio at unabashedyou.com. You can find the show on other podcast platforms. Want to lend your support and encouragement? We invite you to subscribe, follow, rate, review, and share. On Instagram and Facebook, you can find us under Unabashed You. If you want to connect, the email is unabashedyou at gmail.com for questions, comments, and anything else. If you want to be part of our weekly emailing list highlighting the week's episode, give us a shout. We'd be happy to add you, and your info will never be shared. Website visits, social media, and word of mouth in sharing these episodes makes us discoverable, so thanks for your support there. We want these conversations to help you think, celebrate who you are, and move you in some way. Be encouraged as you continue to listen, read, and be inspired. And now a prayer. God, I'm so grateful that I can find peace in knowing you are good. Thank you for being my refuge, a place where I can truly find rest. I feel safe in your presence. Thank you for giving us access to your spirit through your son. I trust that you are more powerful than whatever I face. In Jesus' name, amen. And that is from Version Bible app. Today, continue to become who you already are. With confidence, be unabashed. With courage, be you.